Well, good morning. Thanks for being here today. I'm so glad to see you. We're going to be in the book of Jonah, chapter 3, this morning. And I just want to confess from the start that today's sermon is pretty simple. And yet, you know what? Simple can be profound. And simple can be life-giving. You know, I know there's been a lot of hurt and pain for a lot of people. Um, You know, I've dealt with my fair share. I'm just feeling tired this morning. And I don't mean just physically. I mean emotionally in every single way. And I know many of you are in that place as, as well. And so, you know, as I was preparing for this sermon, as I was looking at the book of Jonah, Uh, Man, I just realized I just need to come back to and be reminded of the goodness of God, um, the goodness of the gospel. And what I love about the book of Jonah is that's what the book of Jonah is all about. And that's what Jonah chapter 3 is all about. And let me just again remind you what this is about. It's not just about a a big fish. The, The story of Jonah is all about God's great love and relentless pursuit of sinful people. God's great love and relentless pursuit of sinful people of which I am one. I'm so grateful for God's love and his relentless pursuit of me. Let let me give you a quick review of Jonah chapters 1 and 2 that we've been looking at the last couple weeks. We see God calls Jonah, who is a prophet, someone who is called to speak forth God's truth. God calls Jonah to go preach repentance, which just means turn from your ways, turn from your sin, turn to the Lord. And that was typically the message of a prophet. God calls Jonah to go preach repentance to the city of Nineveh, but Jonah wants to have nothing to do with it. And so Jonah runs away. Jonah wants to have nothing to do with these people receiving God's grace and forgiveness. And so he he flees. And lest any of us become self-righteous and judgmental, like, Jonah, why wouldn't you just go and do what God asked you to do. Let me give you a, a 2021 example. The best that I, I know how in our, in, our, in our day and time. If God were to call you to go, he would say, hey, I want you to go to Afghanistan and I want you to preach repentance to the Taliban. What would your response be? Right? I think our natural response would be, I don't, no, they, they deserve God's judgment and God's wrath and justice. I don't want to see them receive God's forgiveness. Okay, wrestle with that one for a little bit and then go back and judge Jonah, right? This is the place that he was in. He wanted to have nothing to do with it. And so what he did was he fleed from the presence of God. And yet God, who, because of his great love and relentless pursuit of sinful people, he pursued Jonah, and he got his attention through a storm on the sea. And then he rescued Jonah uh, in the sea through, quote, a great fish, end quote. Okay, I know some are disappointed because in Sunday school you were told it was a whale. It may or may not have been a whale. It was a great fish that God appointed to rescue Jonah. And so God pursues him. He rescues him through a great fish. And then in chapter 2, we saw this call and response between the Lord and Jonah. And I'll see if you can remember this. Jonah cries out to God. You know what the response was? God rescues. Jonah cries out to God. God rescues. And so what we've learned in the book of Jonah through these first couple chapters is, first of all, you can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. God is always in pursuit of you. And so you can run from him, you can flee from his presence, but you can't get away from him. 
And then last week, we saw this, this truth that when we need rescue, we can cry out to God. When we need rescue, when we need saving, we can cry out to God, and Jesus will come and do his work. He will be a savior for us. And so that's what we've seen in these first couple chapters of Jonah. Uh, and today we're going to look at Jonah chapter 3, and I'm calling today's sermon, Try Again. Try Again. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll look into Jonah chapter 3. God, again, I want to say thank you for this day and this opportunity that we have to uh, hear from you, to meet with you, to, to, to see your word and to hear your word and Lord, to offer ourselves to you, to say that here we are, we're, we're available, we hear what it is that you're saying to us. And so, Lord, that's, that's my prayer, is that we would have ears to hear this morning. Whatever it is you want to speak to our hearts, Lord, help us to hear and help us to uh, respond in, in faith and obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so Jonah chapter 3, there's 10 verses, and I'm going to ask you to, to turn there and, and to to look at it with me as I read Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And it starts this way. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. Here's the proclamation. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God." Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And so there's, there's kind of four big things that I want us to see this morning that I think will help us in our, in our spiritual journey and our relationship with God. Number one is this, that God is a God of second chances. God is a God of second chances. And you see this right away in chapter 3, verse number 1. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And what that means is that it come one other time before, right? And, and what I want to do for just a moment is I want to, I want to kind of go between chapter 1, the first few verses, and chapter 3, which we're in these first few verses, because you see the same, the same thing happening. The, the first time in, in Jonah chapter 1, verse number 1, it says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the sin of Amittai, saying, verse number 2, here's what the Lord said to Jonah, Arise. 
go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Okay, now, now go back to chapter 3. We just looked at it. Verse number 1 and 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Here's what it said. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So you see the same God giving the same instruction to the same individual, right? Same God, same instruction, same person. But there was a different response. All right, so go back to chapter 1. I want you to see again in verse number 3. Here was Jonah's response to this call from God. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And I want to note something here. Okay, this is just one of these interesting little side notes that if you look closely, you'll see. Every time it, it talks about Jonah's fleeing or running away from the presence of the Lord, it always describes the direction in which he is going as down. Okay, so look at it again. Verse number, number three, Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he, he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Drop down to verse number five. Okay, so the Lord brings this great wind upon the sea. Verse number five, the mariners were afraid. Each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone where? Down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down. And I'm not going to make much of that because that's the only way you can lay down, right? It's down. That's the only direction. But you see over and over that as Jonah is fleeing, as he's running from the presence of God, he's, he's always going in this downward direction. And the truth for all of us is that when we try to run from God, when we try to flee from his presence, when we respond the way that Jonah did, which is in disobedience, life is always going to head in a downward direction. And this is the response of Jonah the first time. But in chapter 3, the Lord calls out to him a second time. Look at Jonah's response in verse number three of chapter three. His second response was this. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And so you have the same God, the same instruction, the same individual, different response. The only difference between the first and the second instance here is the second time Jonah responds with, obedience. It says that he goes to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And so God is a God of, of second chances. And I just love that this, this whole, the passage in, in, in chapter one is mirrored in chapter three, but the difference is you see obedience from Jonah. And I love that it says the word of the Lord came to him a second time. And, and here's where it applies to us. If you've ever blown it, right? Once or twice or three times or a hundred times, man, go back and obey the Lord. Go back again. God is a God of second chances and third chances and a hundredth chances. Try again. Go back and obey. And I want to remind you again that this comes on the heels of, of chapter two, which is all about Jonah's repentance. And so he understood his sin against God. He repented. He turned away from his sin. He turned back to the Lord. And remember, I talked about last week that, that repentance isn't just words, but it's action. 
It's a change of mind and a change of heart that leads to a change of direction. And so we see, we see this on display in, in Jonah, that he, he repents of his sin and then he obeys the Lord. And so I just want to encourage you today and remind you, man, if you've blown it, if you've sinned, and you feel like this is this constant thing, I keep, man, God could never forgive me. God is a God of second chances. God is a God of second chances. The word of the Lord came to him a second time. Something else that we see here that I love in the story of Jonah is that God can use ordinary obedience to do extraordinary things. God can use ordinary obedience to do extraordinary things. You know, Jonah's message, okay, so Jonah, in essence, what we just sang about, here I am, Lord, I'm available. I'll do whatever you say. Jonah responded in that kind of way. He responded with obedience, and he goes to Nineveh, and even though, you know, this, he didn't love these people, he didn't have a heart for these people, but he was obeying the Lord. And so what you see is Jonah's message was pretty short and pretty simple. It wasn't very sweet, but it was short and it was simple. And I want you to look at it again in verse number uh, four. Um, here's Jonah's message. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. Okay, here is Jonah's sermon to the people of Nineveh. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Okay, count those up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight words. Okay, this was an eight-word sermon. Have you all ever strolled into a Sunday morning and I'm like, I hope today's sermon is like eight words. (laughs) You're like, I hope it's, hey, hush, hush now. You're like, eight minutes would be good, right? That'd be remarkable. This is a very simple sermon. In fact, what's crazy about this, this message is that there's not even a mention of God's mercy, right? Or his grace. It's just, hey, y'all, you have 40 days to get things together. And if not... It's kind of like, or else God is going to bring the rain. You have 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This was his sermon. This was all it was. And God said, just call out to them the message that I tell you. And God gives him an eight message sermon. I'm like, Lord, where's my eight, eight word sermon? You've never given me one of those. But, but look at this, the, the response of the people. I, I just can't believe this. Verse number five. Eight-word sermon. Here's the response of the people. And the people of Nineveh, Nineveh what? Believed God. Like, how simple is that? Eight words. The people of Nineveh believed God. What an incredible thing that we see here. Like, Jonah didn't even say a lot. Billy Graham, he was not, right? He was just being very simply obedient, God said, I want you to go and just call out the message that I give to you. All right, so there wasn't a lot of eloquence here. There wasn't a lot of, you know, like preaching ability on display here. Jonah didn't even have a heart for these people. All Jonah did was simply obey what God told him to do. He obeyed. I mean, I I don't even know. He may have had a bad attitude. And he just like mumbled these words, but it says the people believed God. And so I, here's a question that I have, and I don't know if you've, you've thought, you think this as you go through this. Here's a question. Can a whole nation repent? 
Like, can an entire nation repent? And I'd be inclined to say, oh, no, that's, that would be impossible. But you look at, look at what it says. It says they called for a fast. They put on sackcloth. So what, what you see in the Old Testament is, and in the New Testament, this act of putting on sackcloth and sitting in ashes. And that was an, an outward physical display of repentance, of, of mourning. When someone would sit in sackcloth and ashes, that meant this, they were truly repentant. And then it says this, from the greatest of them to the least of them. And so I would be inclined to be like, well, all the people believed. And so he's speaking representatively, the majority of this nation believed God and repented. But the language is so specific from the greatest of them. And we see this, that the very king himself turns from his ways from the greatest of them to the least of them. And so what it sounds like is that every single person in the city has repented of, of their sin. And so I would ask, can a whole city, can a whole nation repent? You know, what's incredible is that God uses Jonah's simple obedience to speak an eight-word sermon. He used simple obedience to produce corporate or national or, you know, in this whole city, repentance from this whole group of people. And, you know, I think about, I think about our, our, our nation, our state, our nation, and, you know, the time in which we live. And I don't, I, has there ever been a time where there's been more wickedness and sin running rampant in our, in our world, in our nation? I don't, I don't, I don't think so. What would be my desire? Man, I would love to see our nation repent of our sins. And is that even possible? And, you know, we, I think we would all say, oh, that would be, that seems impossible that the whole, a whole nation or a whole city could repent of our sins. And it's, I think that's true, that it is impossible without obedient messengers to take the message of repentance to the people who need it. You know, it's, it's really easy for us to curse the wickedness of our nation. It's much less easy for us to be simply obedient and take the message of repentance to people who need to hear it, right? It's easy to curse the wickedness. It's much harder to actually take the message of repenting of our wickedness to the people who need it. And so as I go through this, I ask the question, how much am I like Jonah? How much are we like Jonah? And yet the truth of the story is that God can take our ordinary obedience. He, he doesn't need you to be eloquent. He, he doesn't need you to have the most ability. He's looking for your availability. He's looking for you to just simply obey, to go and make disciples, to have conversations, to point people to Jesus like he's called us to do, to simply obey and, and then to watch God do his thing. One of my favorite quotes that I've heard over the years is from Charles Stanley when it comes to obedience. And, and I've heard this more from his son, Andy Stanley, who's a pastor in Atlanta. And th this is the quote, obey God and leave all the consequences to him. Obey God and leave all the consequences to him. So the challenge here is when God calls you to do something, whether it's simple, whether it's, whether it's big, whether it seems impossible, just Obey God, listen and obey, and then stand back and let God do his thing. Just be obedient to what he has called 
you to do. Watch God work. And the promise is, the, the thing we see here is that God will take your ordinary obedience and he'll do extraordinary things with it. You don't have to be the most talented, have the most ability. You just need to be obedient. There's a third thing that we kind of see in, in this passage. So God is a God of second chances. God can use ordinary obedience to do extraordinary things. Here's a third truth is that we must all reckon with eternity. We must all reckon with eternity. I love the word reckon. I don't get to use that every day. Um, so I decided to throw that in there. That word reckon means to, uh, to consider or to, to weigh or to think about or to deal with. We must all reckon with eternity. We, we've, we've all got to come face to face and, and consider eternity. In, in other words, what happens after death? What happens when this life ends? We've all got to reckon with eternity at one point or another. And when you look at this, this sermon, if you will, that Jonah preached, there was an urgency attached to it, wasn't there? Did you see? He, he kind of gave this, this time limit. It wasn't this unlimited amount of patience and grace. He said, you have how long? Did you catch it? 40 days, which we won't dive into that, but is typically in this, the scriptures, you see it multiple times, it, it means a time of testing. And what Jonah says is, hey, y'all have 40 days and then Nineveh will be overturned. And so there was a sense of, of urgency and it kind of reminds me of, you know, when I came to Christ, um, you know, almost 30 years ago, I remember, you know, when we were kind of trained when we would, would talk to people about our faith or when pastors would talk about um, giving your life to Jesus, there was this one phrase that kind of preceded it all that added some urgency to it. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. Here's, there's a question that came before you shared your faith, and it was this. If you died tonight, y'all ever heard that? If you died tonight, you know what the rest of that, how the rest of that went? If you died tonight, do you know where you would spend eternity? And, you know, to me, like, it's... It, it, it felt like a, a high-pressure sales tactic, like I'm trying to close the deal. Okay, if you died tonight or on the way home from church, where would you? And so it was almost this like, ah, there's this urgency, this pressure, but, which, which I kind of pull away from. But there's some validity to that, right? There is some urgency to this, this matter. There's some urgency attached to the gospel. And I want to show you a verse, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It says this about the Lord, that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. And this is talking about his, his promise to, to make all things right, to, to bring justice and judgment. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so this, there's this truth, this promise that God is going to make all things right. He's going to bring justice and judgment. And, God, and what, what he's saying here is that God's not slow. It's not like, you know, he's dragging his feet on this. No, he's, he's instead, he's patient toward you because he loves you. He doesn't want anybody to perish, but he wants every single person to repent and to turn from his ways and to turn towards the Lord. And so and he loves us and he's patient with us. But we don't often go to the next verse or tie these together. Verse number 10. But 
the day of the Lord will come like a thief. What he's saying is, man, he's patient, he's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting because he wants everybody's heart to turn towards him. But make no mistake about it, the day of the Lord, the day when he returns, the day when his wrath will fall, that day is going to come. And it's going to come like a thief in the night. It's, there's going to be no forewarning. It's going it's, it's to come when you least expect it. It will come. And so there is a sense of urgency. Yes, God wants you to repent. God wants you to turn, but you don't have forever. The day of the Lord is going to come. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14 and we, we could look at a number of verses that, that, that speak to this. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. There's a reality that every single word we've spoken, every thought we've had, every deed we've done, we will have to account for before the God of, of heaven. So there, there is this urgency. There is this idea of giving an account. Hebrews 9, 27. Let me, let me read you one more verse. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So you remember when we talked about Jonah, that God appointed for this great fish? Like, he appointed this time, this place where he would swallow up Jonah to rescue him. And God made this divine appointment. This was going to occur in the life of this fish. Well, what Hebrews tells us is that every single person has an appointment, a divine appointment with the grave, with death. Every single person, no one can get out of this appointment. All right, we, we've, we, my wife and I have had dentist appointments that we keep pushing back. We're like, we don't want to do this. We don't want to do this. I think I've mentioned this before. We don't like the dentist. So we keep, this is an appointment that none of us can reschedule or get out of. It is appointed for every single man and every single woman, every single person to die. And after that comes judgment. And so there is this urgency to this matter because every single man, woman, every single human being will stand before God and have to give an account for every thought and every word and every deed. And so there is an urgency because we don't want people to stand before the God of heaven and say, I didn't know that you are loving, gracious God. I didn't know that you could forgive me and cleanse me of my sin. I didn't know that I could escape judgment and wrath if I would just put my faith in Jesus. So there is this sense of urgency that we don't have forever, that our time is, is limited. We must all reckon with eternity. And the only proper response for every single person is this. It's faith and repentance. And I know we keep talking about this over and over and over, but this is the only proper response to the call of God. It's faith and repentance. Jesus said in Mark 1, 15, when he first came on the scene, he said, the kingdom of God's at hand. Repent, turn from your ways, and believe in the gospel. Turn, stop walking your way, stop going your own way, which is away from me and Believe the gospel. Turn towards me. Turn your heart towards me. Faith and repentance, they're like two sides of the same coin. You can't really have one without the other. Faith is this heart belief in the Lord. Repentance is this, this physical evidence of, of, of my faith in him. You can't have one without the other. And so our only proper response is faith 
and repentance. And I want you to go back to Jonah chapter 3, and I want you to see this, this faith and repentance on display in the people of Nineveh, and specifically <clears throat> in the king of Nineveh. Go back to Jonah 3, verse number 8. So the king, he rises up from his throne, removes his robe, covers himself with sackcloth and sits in ashes. He issues this proclamation. Verse number eight, here's what he says to the people. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. We see this, this, this idea of turning away. Let every man turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And I, I want to talk about this for a second because that's interesting terminology. We, we understand turning from our evil way, but from the violence that, that, that is in his hands, all right, what does that mean? Well, often you see throughout the scriptures this idea of our hands has to do with our actions, our, our outward actions. And let, me, let me read for you Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. David here is, is the writer, and he's writing. He says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? And this kind of goes back to what we, what we talked about last week, about the holy temple, about the presence of God. And David is asking the question, who is going to be able to come before God and stand in his presence? Who's going to be able, who's going to, be able to come into his holy place, into his holy hill? Here is the person who can ascend to the hill and stand in his holy place. Verse 4, he who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So does that mean, okay, if you're, stand before, if you're gonna stand before God, man, you gotta be good when you wash your hands, all right? This is, sounds like COVID stuff, right? Wash your hands, sanitize, and then God will accept you. All right? That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about having this clean exterior. He's talking about Clean hands means the actions of your life. And it's, it's almost always connected to a pure heart. So there's this idea of pure inner motives and then this clean outward life, these actions that match this heart of, of faith. He says, who's going to stand before the Lord? Someone who has a pure heart. Their sins have been wiped clean, washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And they have they have clean hands, which is this evidence, this proof that, that they, have, they follow Jesus, they follow God. And so I want to ask you this morning, we must all reckon with eternity. So let me ask you the hard question, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time. Have you ever considered life after death? Like, have you thought about it? What's going to happen when I take my last breath? Have you reckoned with eternity? Because here's the reality for every single one of us. We will all reckon with eternity. If not in this life, that the moment we stand before God, we will have to deal with eternity. And the question is going to be, what have you done with Jesus? What have you done with my son? Have you responded to him in faith and repentance because here's the incredible thing. If you have, if you put your faith in Jesus, then every 
every sinful thought and every sinful word and every sinful deed that you have ever committed will already have been paid for by the death of Jesus Christ. Amen? It will already have been paid for. He has already paid the penalty for your sin and for my sin. And yet the way to receive that forgiveness is to call out to God in faith and in repentance. Have you considered life after death? Have you put your faith in Christ? And if you haven't, man, what are you waiting for? God is waiting for you to cry out to him and to turn to him. And, and here's the fourth and final thing, and this is, is what is, is so important for us to grasp. The very last thing is this, is that God is compassionate and forgiving. God is compassionate and forgiving. And if you look back at verse number nine, when you see the king, he's making this declaration or this proclamation. He says, you know, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. In other words, he's saying, I want you to turn your heart and your, your hands towards the Lord. And then he says this, he asks a question, verse number nine, who knows God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. He asked this question, all right? He hasn't heard about God's mercy and God's grace. And he asked this question, who knows? Maybe God will relent. Who knows? I know the answer to that question. Jonah knew. Jonah knew what God would do. And again, this is the verse we've looked at every single week. Jonah chapter four, verse number two. This is kind of the theme verse of this book. Jonah says this. He says, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, I knew, I knew who you, what you're like, what your character is all about. I knew your nature. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That's why I didn't want to go to Tarshish, or why I didn't want to go to Nineveh. That's why I didn't want to preach repentance to them because I knew, God, I know your character. You were a gracious God and merciful. I knew that you would forgive them if they called out to you. That is why in chapter two, he had confidence that he could cry out to the Lord after he had run away from him because he knew the character of God, that God is a gracious God and merciful, that he, he is slow to anger, that he's patient. Like every thought and word and deed that has been sinful in your life against the God of heaven, Aren't you grateful that he's slow to anger and that he's abounding in steadfast love? This means that he is full of this love that never gives up and it never runs out. I'm telling y'all, I have had thoughts and words and deeds that I look at and I go, those are unforgivable. And I'm so grateful that God is compassionate and forgiving and that he is full of this kind of love the steadfast, never give up, never run out on me kind of love that even in, with, with my words and my thoughts and my deeds, man, he is compassionate and he's forgiving. This is who he is. And the king of Nineveh said, who knows? And Jonah said, I know, I know who he is. He is a gracious God and merciful, 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. This is who he is. And it says in verse number 10, if you go back there, it says that when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God did what? God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. So God hates sin and God is angry with sin. But when we turn from our wicked ways, when we turn from our evil, when we turn from our sin and we turn to the Lord, the Lord turns away from his anger. When we turn towards the Lord, he turns towards us. James chapter 4 Verses six through eight, it reminds us of this. It says this, but he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Verse seven, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse eight, draw near to God and he will what? He will draw near to you. And then he says this, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. If you would draw near to God, if you, would, if you would purify your hearts, if you would cleanse your hands, if you would turn with all of your heart to the Lord, you would draw near to him, he will draw near to you. This is the goodness of God, that he is compassionate and he is forgiving. And so at, at the very heart of, of Jonah's story, and not just at the heart of Jonah's story, at the, at the very heart of your story is this, the compassionate forgiveness of God, of God Almighty. At the very heart of Jonah's story, at the heart of your story, if you would just go back and trace through every chapter of your life, at the very heart of your story, you're going to see the, the compassionate forgiveness of God, that he is steadfast in his love for you, that it, it, it never gives up and it never runs out. He is slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. I mean, just think about it this morning. If you would think about the magnitude of sin that you've been forgiven of over the course of your life, over the course of your week, I'm telling you all, if that doesn't make you want to fall on your face in worship of, of the God of heaven, I don't know what will. He is a God who is compassionate and forgiving. And to that I say, amen and amen. And so maybe today, maybe today you need a second chance. You would look at your life and you would say, man, I've blown it a time or two or 200 times. And I just, I need a second chance. Good news. God is a God of second chances. Maybe today you just simply need to be obedient. Maybe God has been calling you to do something and you've just been kind of resistant. You've kind of run the other way. 
Maybe it's to, to serve in a particular way or to give more of yourself or to have a conversation. Maybe it's to be baptized. Maybe God's just calling out to you and you've been like, mm, you've been resistant. Maybe you just need to put on display ordinary obedience. Maybe you're like, God, I don't know if you could do anything with that. That seems impossible. I don't know if I could do Just obey. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you need to reckon with eternity for the very first time. Maybe once again, you just need to be reminded of, of the magnitude of eternity and then come face to face and reckon with it, consider it, weigh it. You know, maybe today, maybe today for you, maybe it's just you need, it, you need this morning to remember and reflect on God's compassionate forgiveness in your life. And so maybe this morning is just going to be a moment of worship for you to thank the Lord that his love never gives up, never runs out. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. I just want to pray and we're going to respond. I want to ask you to respond to the Lord. Father, today I'm just grateful for who you are. You're the same God that Jonah knew. You are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. You're not willing that any would perish. God, thank you for that. Thank you that we can cry out to you. Thank you that we can receive forgiveness. Thank you that you can purify our hearts and cleanse our hands, not because of anything that we have done or could do, but because of the work of Jesus for us in our place. God, thank you for that. Lord, help us to, to reckon with eternity today. Help us to, to come face to face with you. Help us to stand before you in faith and repentance today. Help us to respond in the way that you would want us to respond in simple obedience. God, we come to you. Purify our hearts. Would you give us clean hands? We want to live for you. We want to honor you. We want to see you do extraordinary things through our simple lives and our simple lives of obedience. And so, God, would you continue to meet with us today? Would you do the work in our hearts and help us to respond in faith to you? We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we continue to worship?